again, everyone, and welcome to another Monday night. That means it's time for the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show, our get-together to talk about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. I'm Dave Mitchell. Glad to have you along for tonight's show. And alongside our resident Reds expert from stormy areas down south, Mark Donahue. Mark, how are you tonight? Well, we're getting uh, rained on and we're getting stormed on, but outside of that... um Pretty good. How are you, David? Not too bad. We got uh, storms about an hour ago. Uh, boy, it, it was kind of nasty around here. Matter of fact, Mark, I was actually going to do the show tonight from my back patio. Uh, I was afraid that maybe the neighbors would be a little bit upset about that, and maybe they did a war dance and decided that they'd bring the storms here, so I couldn't do that. Well, I'm glad you didn't. Uh trying to take the dog out we can't go outside with the dog so <laughs> that's how bad it is but uh we're pretty lucky we just got rain and some thunder people out west have gotten a heck of a lot worse than this well the indians have tonight off mark the reds though they're in chicago how's the weather at wrigley field where the reds are playing this evening well it's clear right now apparently and uh there is a dispute going on the field if you remember all the vines out at Wrigley Field. Um, uh, Ludwig was in left field. A ball was hit down the line, and it got hung up into the vines. And now they're arguing whether or not it should be, uh, you know, an extra base hit, a double, a triple, a home run, whatever it's going to be. So it looks like it's going to be a double. I don't, <clears throat> I don't know why the the issue arose, but at any rate, uh, Reds are ahead one to nothing, and uh, they've been playing pretty good ball of late. Yeah, I thought the ground rule at Wrigley Field on the Vines was just a ground rule double. Yeah, I, apparently the ball has to be out of sight is the is the rule. It certainly looked out of sight to me and was out of sight to Ryan Ludwig, obviously. But uh, uh, the, the Reds are trying to hold on to uh, the lead here, one to nothing. Well, we are efforting to get Tony Lastoria from Indians Baseball Insider and Smoke Signals program on our show this evening. Now, Mark uh, is at Lake uh, tonight to see uh, one of the Indians minor leagues team uh, play this evening, the Lake Erie Captains. So he wasn't sure if he was going to be able to call in this evening, depending upon the weather and how late the game went. But he was going to give us a call. And the reason, Mark, that I wanted to have Tony Lastoria on tonight's show is there's a lot of uh, turmoil going on with the Indians right now as far as, as Drupal Cabrera is concerned. Of course, this is the last year of his contract. He is playing out and becoming a free agent at the end of this season. But, Mark, as I've discussed with you over some of the past shows, I just don't feel like the effort and the focus is there out of Drupal Cabrera. And there is some talk right now about... Francisco Lindor, who's batting 300 at Double A and is major league ready right now, according to some experts, as far as his defense is concerned, is and his hitting is becoming a commodity. That it may just be a possibility that the Indians will cut ties with Asdrubal Cabrera, send him someplace else, and bring up Lindor to pitch or to play shortstop for the Indians. I think that's probably a good move, and we're trying to get Tony Lastoria on to talk about just where Francisco Lindor is as far as his progress is concerned as a minor leaguer. 
You know, it's interesting, Dave, about baseball, and I think uh, what's happened with uh, Cabrera is part of the equation here. But a week ago tonight, uh, had the Indians gone in and swept Detroit, uh, we'd not be having conversations about anybody. But in a short, what was it, a three- or four-game series, I forget, I know they got swept, but uh, with Detroit. Three-game series they, with Detroit. They win those games, and it's it's a different conversation we're having tonight. And I know that Cabrera is, uh, he's not living up to expectations, but, you know, it's, it's so funny in baseball. A team is, the old saying is, you your momentum is based on who your next starting pitcher is, but things can happen so quickly in baseball to turn even a season around where a guy might get, get injured or you lose a tough game and, and the Indians, uh, you know, if they'd have gone in there and won three games, I, I wonder what we would be talking about tonight. Well, it, yeah, it all depends on the first two games they probably should have won against Detroit, Mark, especially Saturday night was Omar Vizquel night, which we'll get into here in a little bit. But the Indians right now, after this three-game set, uh, they're 37-39 and 39 with the off night tonight. They are in third place. They're only five games behind Detroit at 40-32. and 32. They were two and four on the week. They're four and six in their last ten. They've lost three straight, as I said. And Mark, I gotta tell you, I am not impressed with this Detroit ball club. A lot of people, including myself, thought that Detroit was going to take this division. But Detroit has got a problem with their bullpen, Mark. They don't have anybody that they can consistently go to in that bullpen and rely upon them day after day after day, and I think that's going to be their downfall. But, which leads me into my next segment, what Detroit will do as far as Mike Illich and Dave Dombrowski, the general manager of the Tigers, you know these guys are going to get to the trade deadline and they're going to make several small deals to bolster that bullpen and try to take over this division. Something that I just don't think the Cleveland Indians or the Cincinnati Reds are willing to do at the trade deadline. What do you think? Uh, I don't know about the Indians. Uh, I think the Reds, if you're a, a realistic Red fan, the Reds are not going to catch Milwaukee, in my opinion, this year. They have to they have to leap over too many teams to get there. Uh, but the Reds do have a chance to get into the, that second wild card. They're only three games off off the pace there, and only two games back in the loss column behind the Dodgers and the Cardinals. So they they, they do have a chance to make the playoffs. So I think the Reds um, and even the Indians. Indians are only three back in, in the in the division, but how far back are they in the wild card? Well, I haven't even checked the wild card. They're five out in the division right okay, now. Five out. Um, okay. Yeah, five out after after the weekend sweep. I haven't even been checking the wild card situation as far as the Indians are concerned because, Mark, to be honest with you, I don't think they've got a playoff team. I, I really don't. Even when they were playing some good baseball, they do not have a playoff team. Now, they have settled in on a couple of positions as far as first base is concerned. I think Carlos Santana is finally their first baseman. I think Lonnie Chisenhall is their full-time third baseman. But, Mark, they've got to do something about the right field slot. Yeah, David Murphy has had a good year. He's been a decent free agent pickup. But he's not the type of guy that you're going to win a division with in right field. 
and they've got to do something about getting a solid starter. I mean, when you look at this team, Mark, I, I just want to look at the defense right now. And you and I discussed this this morning. The Indians right now, defensively, have committed nine more errors than the Pittsburgh Pirates. The Indians have committed 67 to lead Major League Baseball. The Pirates have committed 58. And when you look at that, that's 37 more than the Reds have committed during this season. You cannot win baseball games without a lineup like Detroit or the Indians had of the 90s or the Reds had in the 70s. You cannot win a division playing baseball like that, and you cannot win a division when your ace has an ERA over four and a record under 500. You cannot win a division when you've totally flip-flopped your entire starting rotation, especially your four and five starters. Your four and five starters were Danny Salazar and Carlos Carrasco to start the season. Now it's Trevor Bauer and Josh Tomlin. You've also got your number three starter in Zach McAllister, who's now down in Columbus, and T.J. House has replaced him in the starting rotation. How this team has five games out, i got to tell you, Mark, is a testament to Terry Francona and the heart and soul of this ball club. But they can't win a division, and they can't get into the wild card spot playing baseball the way that they have been. Well, you mentioned the pitching, and I, I wouldn't want you to go to any homework on this. I'm not asking that. But you look at <laughs> Masterson as an example. And I don't know who your second and third starters are, but I wonder with their records. You said Masterson is under 500. Well, if you if your team has committed 67 errors, I wonder how many of his losses have been impacted by that defense. That is an that's an incredible amount of errors for a major league team to commit. And you mentioned the Reds, who lead Major League Baseball with fewest errors at 30. Uh, their pitching staff certainly benefits from that great defense. So it would be curious, I'd be curious to know how the, the, the starting pitching, I guess it could be any pitching, has been impacted by that kind of porous defense because, you know, some of these, some of the errors aren't important errors. They don't impact whether a team scores or not. But I can guarantee you, you, you commit 67 errors and you have given up a lot of unearned runs. Well, let's take a look at that. Josh Masterson, 4-5 and five on the year with a 4.75 ERA. In 16 starts, Mark, he has given up 47 earned runs. Only six of them have been unearned. He's also got a whip of 1.48. He has not pitched very well this year. That's for sure. I didn't know his numbers were that high, but you, you combine that with – you know, defense also is not just the number of errors you commit. It's the balls you don't get to. So if you're telling me your team has committed 67 errors, I'm wondering, well, how many balls are they not getting to that other defensive players would get to? Yeah, and that and that's a very good question because uh, although you would think that the outfield has done a good job because they can cover a lot of ground in, in Murphy, in Bourne, and in Brantley, but their problem has been at shortstop and at third base. Because when you look at the fielding statistics, first of all, you've got Cabrera, who's leading the team with 14 errors. 
Now, as I talked with you about this morning, Cabrera has a problem when Kipnis goes into the hole between first and second, whirls and throws back to second. I can tell you three times this year when Kipnis has done that and tried to catch somebody at second base to start a double play, Cabrera has completely missed the throw. I don't know how he loses the ball coming out, but it's it's happened at home and it's happened on the road. So you can't say that it's the home park. But as far as other errors are concerned, Nick Swisher at first base has committed six errors so far this year. Jan Gomes has nine, but in all actuality, he hasn't committed an error in the last month. Carlos Santana, six, with five of them coming at third base. Uh, you've got, as I said, as Drupal with 14, and you've got Lonnie Chisenhall with 10, eight of which have come at third base. So you've got to do something to shore up this defense. The strange stat, though, Mark, is they're double plays. They've committed 74. They've pulled off 74 double plays so far this year, while the Reds, on the other hand, have pulled off 51. That, that I find, is a very strange stat. Well, that, again, depends on what kind of pitching you have. And don't forget, you, you can't have a double play unless you have men on base. So that means they're, they're nipping rallies, you know, frequently. But I think that could be a misleading statistic in terms of uh, the effectiveness of a defense. Sure, they can pull off a double play, but that means there's typically people on first, second, and third that you can turn a double play. So that goes back to your pitching. And, again, do you have a pitching staff that is a, is fly ball, a fly ball pitching staff or maybe a pitching staff that strikes out a lot of guys? The Reds pitching staff strikes out a lot of guys. And I bet their, their collective whip is, is, is less than the Indians. I don't know that for a fact, but I would best get, bet it is. So, as far as the whip, I don't know. But to tell you about the strikeouts, you're going to find this surprising. Cleveland right now is second in Major League Baseball in the amount of strikeouts their pitching staff has accumulated. They're right behind Tampa with 657 Ks as a staff. Mark, Cincinnati is 16th, over 100 behind the Indians. Well, how do you let, let's break those numbers down then? You have a team that strikes out a lot of guys, the Indians, number two in the league. They are worst by far. In, in Major League Baseball, in defense. So is it just that your pitchers are ground ball sinker type pitchers? That they get a lot of ground yeah. balls? Is, is that the – what else could it be? Yeah, I would agree with you on that because you've got Masterson that is. Kluber is more of a power type pitcher. So is Trevor Bauer. But you've got Zach McAllister, who's a ground ball pitcher that has really been uh, – alienated by his defense and his starts this year. And then you've got Josh Tomlin, who's also a ground ball pitcher. So, yeah, you take those those three into consideration, and even four with T.J. House, who has taken the place of McAllister. Yeah, you've got a, you've got a pitching staff that's dominating if they can uh, get the ground balls gobbled up by their uh, their defense. Unfortunately, that's not happening. It did last year. It's not this year. Well, it's amazing when you have a shortstop not even halfway through the year that has 14 errors. 
I mean, he's on a pace to have uh, you know close to, to 40 errors. That's that's unbelievable at, at the major league level. Uh, you, you get that in A ball sometimes, but not in, in in major league ball. That's. I wonder if he leads the league at shortstop in errors. I I, I don't have the statistics here, but that that it's an incredible amount of, sh- of errors for a shortstop. I I agree with you. I I think it's just absolutely terrible. And, and some of the errors that he's committed, Mark have just been errors of lack of focus. And another thing that that I'd like to bring up is his penchant for when he comes up to the plate with runners in scoring position, he is constantly going after the first pitch, especially after a pitcher would walk Michael Bourne on four straight pitches. I've seen this a couple of times this year. He immediately jumps on that first pitch when he's got runners in scoring position. For some reason, Mark, I just don't think this kid has improved from the day he stepped on the field in 2007 to where he's at right now in 2014. He has not improved. He hasn't seemed to learn from his mistakes. He makes the same mistakes over and over and over again, both at the plate and in the field. And when the chips are down, you just cannot count on this kid. And that's why I'm saying I think... And I agree with some of these people, Mark, that have said, hey, maybe it's time, maybe not to give up on this season, but at least cut ties with Esdrubal Cabrera. Maybe he needs a clean slate someplace else. Cut ties with Cabrera, bring Lindor up, put him number nine in the batting order, and let's depend upon his defense and see how he does. Because he's going to be the shortstop next year. There's no doubt about that. You know, to put it in perspective, Zach Cozart, who's played every game, almost every game for the Reds at short, he has four errors this year. <laughs> that's that's the difference. I mean, add ten errors just at shortstop. Uh, that's mm-hmm. an amazing number. And uh, I think you you hit on the the fact that you cannot win with a, you cannot win with a defense like that. You can't. It, it just it wears on your pitching. Uh, you know, you don't even take into account that extra outs lead to extra pitches. And it fatigues your bullpen. It fatigues your starting pitching. It has a lot of, of ripples through your your team. To say nothing of the psychological impact, where you know your nothing makes a pitcher matter than having errors that that should not be errors. And when you're telling me your first baseman has six or seven errors, uh, you know that that's that's kind of ridiculous. Again, to have that many errors on a major league ball team. And to answer your question from earlier as Drupal Cabrera is dead last in Major League Baseball as far as shortstoppers is concerned in errors. He's got 14. That's dead last out of the teams in Major League Baseball. 202 assists, and as far as his total chances, 310 total chances, which uh, is not even the most in baseball. And do you you want to know who the best one is? I don't know. Zach Cozart. Cozart? Tulowitzki and Ruben Tejada all have four errors. Well, that, that's uh, what these not, stats say. It's not surprising, and uh, that's why Cozart, uh, the Reds have been so patient with him. He's hitting around 230 now, uh, but because of his defense, he just doesn't. Uh, you know, he, he's a very he's not flashy. I'm sure there are balls that Cabrera gets to that Cozart cannot, and Cos and. Cabrera will make the you know the unbelievable play, 
But uh, if it's a ground ball to shortstop, uh, I'm, I'm taking my chances on Cozart. You know, here's another stat. Cabrera has been involved in 45 double plays this year from the shortstop position. The shortstop that leads the majors in double plays from the shortstop position is J.J. Hardy with 64. In 311 total chances, Mark, he's committed eight errors. I could live with a J.J. Hardy. I, I could do that. I could live with a Zach Cozart. And that's where I think Francisco Lindor is at as far as his capabilities at shortstop are concerned. I believe that he's there. He's major league ready to play shortstop right now. But when you, especially on Omar Vizquel night, when they are putting the future Hall of Fame shortstop into the Indians Hall of Fame on Saturday night, the place is sold out. It's a close game. And as Drupal Cabrera bobbles an easy ground ball to himself, and then the next day they've got 30,000 there, and Kipnis goes into the hole, makes a great play, whirls and throws to second base, and the ball just gets dropped for no reason whatsoever. The, the runner wasn't even there yet. just gets dropped by Cabrera. And you have the two largest crowds seeing that. Of course Cabrera is going to get booed. And I, I just don't think, Mark, that the focus and the urgency – for him is there this year. I don't think it ever has been. And I, I just think maybe it's time for the Indians to cut ties with him. Another guy that's got me completely befuddled right now is Nick Swisher, Mark. I have never seen a guy this lost at home plate. You you talk about Jay Bruce and, and how he is sometimes. Nick Swisher isn't even coming close to fouling the ball off. And, and it's really getting to a point where you've got to wonder what they're going to do with this guy. Well, I was never a Nick Swisher fan. <laughs> I think I remember me saying that when they made that deal. Uh, I did not see him as anything other than a, a very average player, great attitude, and you, you like all that. But I, I did not understand where he fit into that lineup. And I know he had a, a decent year last year, but you know, I, I think guys get figured out. <clears throat> and it's interesting you mentioned these two guys, but. These two guys could have a positive impact on a team that is headed for the playoffs. It, they may be the missing piece for somebody. And if you, if you were the general manager of the Indians, what would you look for? Would you look for a, a guy who is in double A right now who could help the team in a couple of years? Or would you want somebody to come up and, and make a run for it? Because you got some value there, particularly, I think, in Cabrera. Uh, I don't see a lot of value in Swisher, not, especially with that contract. But what would you, as the GM of the Indians, what would you look for in exchange for a Cabrera? I, I to be quite honest with you, I would want a power hitting outfielder from Double or Triple A, uh, predominantly probably Double A. But we, we need to replenish the minor league system, and hopefully we're going to get a chance to talk to Tony Lastoria about this. But we need to replenish the minor league system with some power hitters in in that system because right now we don't have anybody down there. Jesus Aguilar is probably the closest thing we've got. Tyler Naquin maybe also the possibility of being a power hitting outfielder, although he's more of an average guy. 
right now the Reds don't have anybody. They don't have anybody that they can bring up and and expect to hit the ball out of the ballpark, an Albert Bell or, or somebody of that nature. Mark, I, I look at this team, and I think they've got to do not just some tinkering. I think they've got to do some overhauling. I, I'm, You know, two years ago, the Cubs were willing to give up Matt Garza for Lonnie Chisenhall. I understand Chisenhall is batting three sixty six right now. But he doesn't have enough at-bats to qualify for the league batting title because the Indians don't trust him enough to play against left-handed pitching. Well, if the organization doesn't trust this guy to play against left-handed pitching, let's get somebody in here that they do trust to play against left-handed pitching if he's a left-handed hitter, which is a guy like Chase Headley, and we'll get into that here in just a little bit, but... If they're not going to trust these ball players, then let's get rid of them and get ball players in here they do trust. You know, I think the team that most other teams ought to adhere to in terms of their strategy is the Oakland A's. Can you name more than three players off that team? <laughs> uh, I probably could, but I would be willing to bet, Mark, that there are a lot of our listeners out there that just couldn't. And and there are several reasons why, but predominantly it's because they're they're on the West Coast. They don't get seen a lot. They don't get a lot of national recognition. And Billy Bean is so good at finding guys in the bushes that you just have no idea where these guys came from. Let me ask you the same question. Can you name ten players off the Dodgers? Yes. Okay. That's my point. Uh, right. know, the Dodgers spend all this money for big-name talent, and they're not nearly as good as the A's. And the, 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 with Billy Bean, he has developed a not just a, a strategy, but an organizational plan that starts at, at, at rookie ball. And when they draft, they go after certain guys that nobody else goes after. And they, they go after guys who make contact, they're good defensive players, they run the bases well, and they don't have the money to sign the, the big free agents, and they never do. But, and yet, they've been probably one of the most competitive teams in baseball over the last five years, and, and you just know they're going to be there. They may not win it, but uh, that, that strategy they employ, I, I really respect that organization and what they do. So it's... Uh, it, to me, it's it's the blueprint that most teams ought to ought to follow. I agree with you wholeheartedly, and and they always play good fundamental defense. They play good fundamental baseball. They've got a manager that knows how to teach it. I'm not complaining about Terry Francona. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I was used to two years of Manny Acta. Terry Francona, at his absolute worst, is a hundred times the manager that Manny Acta ever was. But luckily, he's not a hundred times his worst. T- Terry Francona is one of the better managers in baseball because he manages to get the most out of his team at every avenue he goes to. But the problem is, is that he just doesn't have the talent. This team, if you want to ask me, Mark, I think the Indians probably overachieved last year. I think you and I would agree with that. And they never did anything. The front office didn't do anything, much like the Reds didn't, to improve a team 
that made the playoffs last year but had little to no chance to go any farther this year than they did last year? Well, I think the Reds and the Indians, we've said this for three or four years, they, they mirror each other in a lot of ways. And you, you brought it up accurately a few minutes ago. Will either of these teams make a move that will substantially improve, or at least to try? And you, you cannot, the Reds could go out and sign whomever they want. And, and they, they bring in a free agent, or they make, it, they make a deal, or whatever they do. There's no guarantee it's going to work. I'm not saying that. You can't, you can't hold the team accountable necessarily for the results of, a, of an aggressive trade or move. But I think the fans understand that. And what they want is the team, the organization, to try, to make an effort. Now, with the Reds, they have great starting pitching. They've got a bullpen that has lots of holes in it, especially in the middle. And up until the last couple of weeks, they were in desperate need of a number four hitter. Well, slowly but surely, they've gotten Vado back. Bruce was on the DL. Latos was out. Uh, they had eight people on the on the DL. They've lost Sean Marshall now for the year. So they've had their share of injuries, excuses, of injuries slash excuses built in. But the team now has a chance to make the wild card, and the question is going to be, will Walt Jockety make an aggressive move to shore up whatever at the time is needed by this team. And historically, the Reds and the Indians have not done that. And I don't believe that Walt Jockety... I mean, I know you and I have bandied this about several times. Who's the one that's most likely to make a move? Chris Antonetti or Walt Jockety? And i got to tell you, even as much as I despise the Indians' front office and their ownership... I still think Antonetti is more likely to do something at the trade deadline than Jockety is. I do, too. And I'm curious. The thing I – it's a conundrum here. I think one of the – Bob Castellini, in my opinion, is one of the best owners in baseball. I think he does so many things right as an owner. And he, he defers to his GM. Uh, he, will, he will spend the money when needed if he thinks it is required or is asked – to do so, but I just wonder how long this team is going to endure Jockety, who basically does very little as a GM in, in terms of bringing in new talent, and, and the farm system is, is horrific right now. Uh, there is nobody, nobody on either a double-A roster or triple-A roster that you could bring up to help this ball team, and that that is a scary, scary situation. So, you can't blame Castellini for that. You've got to blame the front office, which is uh, Walt Jockety and his team, his management team. So I, I wonder how long Bob is going to maintain his loyalty to, to Bob because, um, or, or to Walt because this team doesn't have anything in, in the minors that's going to help them in the foreseeable future. Well, my guess is, Mark, is that what you will see is if the Reds – just make the wild card and leave after one game like last year, or don't make the playoffs at all, Castellini will give Jockety the honorable way out and allow him to retire. I think that'll happen at the end of this year. Well, I, I, it appears that, uh, unfortunately, you may be right in terms of where this team could end up, but uh, the Reds have so many weaknesses 
below the minor league or before the ma- below the major league level, that that's not going to be fixed soon. So I think that's why Jockety has gone to the let's just sign everybody we have to big contracts and keep them in place because we have nobody else down there to help. And that's an expensive decision you have to make. Right. It's time for it. I don't think we're going to be able to have Tony Lestoria on tonight. He said if he couldn't call in before 930, he probably wasn't going to be able to call in. Well, we're there and past right now. So I'm guessing Tony Lestoria is not going to be on tonight's show. So we're going to try to have him on within the next couple of weeks. Uh, we hope to have a guest on uh, next week also for us. And in the next few weeks, uh, I've also got a guest coming on that has a website on why Pete Rose should be involved in the Hall of Fame. We'll be doing that, and uh, hopefully we'll be talking with Jamie Ramsey here in the next few weeks, too. He's an assistant public relations uh, director with the Cincinnati Reds who has agreed to come on the show here the next time the uh, Reds have an open Monday night. But right now it's time for our Ask Us segment. And, of course, you can join us on our Ask Us segment simply by uh, emailing me at dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com or you can send it to askus at ultimatesportstalk.com. Mark, we just got a couple of questions here this evening that I think are pretty predominant. Both of them are uh, on the Reds. Tommy J sent us an email earlier this afternoon and asked the question, why did the Reds give that humongous contract to Homer Bailey. Can you explain what their thought process was behind that? Yes, he, he's 26 years old. He's a guy who's thrown two no-hitters. Uh, he apparently has come over, overcome a lot of injuries. He's healthy. And the, the value of starting pitching, I think, is going to go up even higher than it is now. And don't forget, just because they signed him to a contract like that doesn't mean they can't trade him. So I think the Reds overpaid, in my opinion. They overpaid by about 25% on that contract. I thought he was worth maybe uh, $15 million, $16 million a year. And i got to tell you, that trade or that signing has had a huge impact on the valuation of other pitchers in, the, in, in all of baseball. It's been, all of baseball. Up, yeah, it, it's a benchmark now. The guys like Jeff Samarja of the Cubs, who doesn't even have a winning record, He's saying the, you know, the Cubs offered him $15 million. He turned it down. He said he wants Homer Bailey money. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. I mean, it, 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 it's created this uh, this benchmark that I don't think is deserving. Uh, and he, this guy is barely over 500 for a career. But, you know, what, what he did, he, he threw two no-hitters. And it, it gave him the the aura of being that kind of guy. And will he get better in the next couple of years? I, the Reds certainly hope so. Uh, he, he's not a dominant pitcher right now. He, he's a, a pitcher that can get hit around. Uh, he can be dominant at times, but he's not overpowering. And I, I didn't understand it, but it's the nature of the beast. And whomever asked that question, I think it's a very good question. And unfortunately, I don't have, nor does Major League Baseball have an answer for you. Well, and it just appears like that contract there, Mark, to Bailey, has hamstrung the Reds in several different ways because with Bailey's contract now, you've got Cueto and Latos, which we've discussed, but those guys have an over 500 career record. Those guys 
are more dominant pitchers than Homer Bailey is. Latos is younger than Bailey. Cueto just a year or two older than Bailey. And when it's time for them to go back to the contract table and negotiate out a new deal, they're going to want a substantial amount more than Homer Bailey's got. So the Reds are even negotiating against themselves with that contract. That's exactly right. And and I repeat, uh, next, and yesterday you didn't probably see him pitch, but it looked like uh, Johnny Cueto was throwing a wiffle ball yesterday at about 95 miles an hour. His ball moves more than any pitcher I've ever seen. It's just astonishing. He'll throw a fastball. It'll move 12 inches, a fastball, or 9 inches. I'm not exaggerating. And he'll throw it. He'll throw his two-seamer in on a right-hand hitter, and he actually broke a guy's finger yesterday doing that. But he's, he's a real dominant pitcher. He leads the world in ERA now. And you're right. He's going to demand a contract much, much better than Homer Bailey. The Reds can't afford to sign Matt Latos, Homer Bailey, and Johnny Cueto to say nothing of Mike Leake, who's actually, he won 14 games last year. He's probably going to win 14 or 15 games this year. What do you do with that pitching staff? <laughs> what you do, you go out and get a hitter is what you should do. Well, yeah, and they've got they've got Stevenson in the minor leagues. They've got this Cuban guy that they just signed. What what are their plans with, and I can't remember his name, so forgive me, but what are, what are their plans with the Cuban pitcher they just signed? Well, they, that apparently is not official yet. Uh, all indications are they're going to sign him, but it, it's not been it's not been official as of yet. But right now they have him planned or slotted for middle relief. But uh, the scouting reports say this guy can be a starting pitcher, and they, they compare him to to Mario Soto, which would be that's a great comparison. But that's what they compared uh, Johnny Cueto to, and Cueto has a lot better stuff than does um, Soto. Uh, Cueto has better stuff than Soto did. All right, here's another question on the Reds from Bobby Frank, who sends us in, sent it in earlier tonight, and asked, "What is wrong with Tony Singrani? He appeared to be one of the best pitchers the Reds had coming into this season after last year's performance, but this season has been hit around big time. What seems to be his problem?" Bobby, it's, it's very simple, and it revolves around the number 81. If you're asking what 81 represents, it's the percentage of fastballs that Singrani throws per game. And I don't care who you are, I don't care how hard you throw, you keep throwing a fastball, these major league hitters will turn on it. And that's he doesn't have an out pitch beyond, beyond the fastball. At the beginning of the year, he was actually throwing a slider a little more than he was. But when he gets in trouble... And, and trouble becomes a, a control issue with him. When he gets in trouble, he defaults to his fastball. And again, these major league hitters, they, they know that. And it's like, you know, a wild animal sensing fear. They know that when he's in a tight spot, he's coming with a fastball. And while he throws 93-94, these guys can turn that around pretty easily. And that's, that's his problem. Uh, I, I think he will figure it out. He's a very competitive kid which I, I like a lot about him. He, he This guy really gets pissed when he gets hit around. And, uh, you know, he, he you can see it in his face. He's very determined. He's a good athlete. So I think he's going to figure all this out and, and become a dominant pitcher for the Reds down the road. But, uh, you know, the, the guy that we're not even talking about tonight is Alfredo Simon. Right. I mean, this guy, he leads the National League in wins with 10. 
he's got a lead tonight. I don't know what's going to happen tonight, but uh, he's at least going to come out here tonight with 10 wins and uh, could have 11. This guy could be a 20-game winner. What do you do with him? And what do you think the chances are of him starting the All-Star game, Mark? <laughs> a pretty pretty remote, but I think it, there's a good chance that Cueto could. You really think so? You, you think they would over they would pass over Clayton Kershaw? Yeah. Well, look at the numbers. Uh, Johnny Cueto has better numbers than Kershaw. Now Kershaw has a no hitter, uh, but uh, he, Johnny's seven and five, and he could be by the All Star break. He'll what, get two more starts. So he could be 9-5, and five, but his ERA, if it continues to go down, he could be in Bob Gibson territory. You remember Bob Gibson yeah. in 1968, a 1.20 ERA, which is unfathomable. He had 34 starts, uh, 35 starts, and 1.2 ERA? Are you kidding me? That's that's virtually, un, I mean, that, that's Little League stuff. Yeah, it, it, forced, it forced Major League Baseball to lower the mounds that year. That's right. That was the worst year yeah. in the history of hitting for major league hitters. Correct. Correct. That's going to do it for our Ask Us segment tonight. You can join us again next week with your questions just simply by emailing us to askus at ultimatesportstalk.com or dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com. Mark, want to bring up a few other things here tonight. Billy Hamilton, boy, is he playing some good baseball right now for the Reds. He sure is, and I think he has exceeded – just about everybody's expectations this year. And this is a guy, he could he could still steal 80 bases this year. It's possible. And he's likely to steal 65 or 70, but it's possible he can steal 80. And he's going to hit about 270, which is about 30 points higher than everybody expected. He's hit four home runs. Uh, he's driven in, what, 34, 35 runs so far. And he's, he's he's really off to a fantastic start. And uh, the thing I really like about him is he's played unbelievably good defense. His throwing, uh, cutting balls down in the gaps, going back to the wall, he's fearless at the wall. Uh, he has really been a huge surprise. And, boy, talk about a deal that I'm glad the Reds didn't make. They didn't sign a chew again to a contract. And they went with Billy Hamilton because he has just been fantastic. Well, and Chu has been a disappointment in Texas, to be very honest with you. I, I mean, uh, he got an outlandish contract from the Rangers, and then they took on the Prince Fielder contract. I don't know where Texas is coming up. There, uh, there, there must not be a problem with any oil in the state of Texas. Let's just put it that way, Mark. Plus, you know, Fielder's done for the year, and, you know, his the, the surgery he's having could be career-ending. Uh, if that thing doesn't take, and he, he I, I doubt he'll be ready for the beginning of next year. But back to Hamilton no. for a second. He, he's only had one error this year, playing defense, and that was on a throw. It was, in fact, it wasn't even his fault. I remember, the, I remember the play. He threw ball into second base, took a bad hop, and the a runner took an extra, an extra base on him. But I, I think he has a chance to be rookie of the year this year. Oh, I, I think absolutely. I, I can't even think of any other rookies, Mark, that are up there with him. Can you? Yeah, the, the kid for the Pirates that just came up, and he had his hitting streak stop yesterday, but he looks like a real keeper. Now, we have enough at-bats, I don't know, uh, but he, he's a heck of a player. Uh, I don't know what the statistics will be by the end of the year, but uh, I'll tell you, I'd take Hamilton right now, given his base-stealing ability and his defense alone. I mean, just those two things would make him 
a very valuable commodity. But when you add what he's doing offensively, it's amazing that uh, he's been able to do it. And I'll tell you, Dave, he's got a really, really quick bat. He's able to pull a fastball, and that's the big surprise to me. I thought he was going to be one of these guys going the opposite field all the time and behind the fastball, but he's not. And he's going to get stronger, and I think he could be a, a, a real player for a long time. Well, I certainly hope so because he's fun to watch. The Reds going into tonight's game, Mark, they're 37-37. and 37. But they're eight and a half games behind Milwaukee in that third base, uh, third place spot of the Central Division of the National League. Milwaukee really playing some good baseball, 47 and 30. And if you want to look at our magic numbers, of course, Mark and I picked the number of wins that the Reds and Indians have to have in June in order to stay in the race. Mark's magic number for the Reds was 18, and right now they have 12. So they've got to pick up six more wins in the month of June. The Indians, on the other hand, I said that they needed 16 wins, and they have 11. So the Indians need five more wins to hit my magic number in the month of June. But, Mark, I'll tell you what, when you look at the magic number for the Reds, having 12 right now, they missed a golden opportunity to have number 13 on Friday night. What in the world happened in that game? Well, Matt Latos did not have his good stuff, and the bullpen spit the bit. And that was one of the more disappointing losses I remember in my illustrious history as a Reds fan. That that one was just a nauseating uh, result after having an eight to nothing lead. But I got I got to give props to the team, and I think Brian uh, had a lot to do with this. The manager of the Reds, um, the team came back the next day and just pounded those guys eleven to one. And then they won again yesterday, coming off the mat after that horrific defeat. And, you know, that I think that's the kind of thing that can change a team. And the Reds certainly, um, you know, they've been, <laughs> they've had enough problems already this year. But to come up and uh, win those last two games over the last two days, I, I think was a real pick-me-up for this organization. Yeah, it definitely was. But a three-game sweep over Toronto, the one of the best teams in the American League, Mark, would have been very good. And then the, the next day, the Reds made some roster changes, including sending Singrani down to the minor leagues. Now, we've already talked about Singrani and having the one pitch. Are they going to try to help him develop a second pitch, or is this just a, a stopover for him in the minor leagues? No, I think he's down there for a reason. Uh, you know, when they lost Sean Marshall, I was wondering if they're going to put Singrani into the bullpen, but the problem with him is control. You can't have a guy coming in uh, and, and and like he did against Pittsburgh the other day. You know, he walked in the winning run. He walked two guys. He hit a guy in the last inning. You can't have that out of the bullpen. I mean, that's that's not tenable. So I think they're going to send him down. He, he's definitely a starting pitcher, a starting pitcher, and you're going to see him work on a changeup. And if Aroldis Chapman can develop the changeup he did just in spring training. His changeup is at 90 miles an hour, and it's breaking about 12 inches. Uh, you know, Singrani can do the same thing. They have the guys who can teach that pitch. But he needs a slider. Uh, he needs to change speeds more often. He needs uh, something that gets those hitters off the fastball. And he needs to be able to throw his first pitch that is something other than a fastball. That he can, he can start off the count with with a slider or or a changeup and get ahead in the count 
on one of those pitches. Right now, he can't do that. He comes in almost every time with a fastball because he's afraid to get behind in the count. And Because if he gets behind in the count, what's he do? He throws more fastballs. So these guys are, are, are geared up for it, and uh, that's what he'll be working on down there. And if the Reds continue to get the kind of pitching they're getting right now, I'm not sure he'll be back this year. At least I mean, he might come back in September, but he's not going to come back into the rotation anytime soon. Well, I hate to be the master of the obvious, but if Tony Singrani can't come out of the bullpen because he throws only fastballs, how do they continue to send out J.J. Hoover, who throws only uh, homer balls? You got me. Uh, <laughs> when I see him up in the bullpen, I, I literally turn off the TV because he, he has been just ripped this year. And he throws the fastball right at the letters, <laughs> and it's not overpowering like Chapman, so he can't get away with it. He's still in 91, 92, 93, and these guys just kill it. And then you have the, the Reds saying, oh, yeah, he's a valuable part of our bullpen. Really? If, if he's a valuable part of your bullpen, you got a bad bullpen. Yeah, and, and I can't see... You know, they they keep sending him out there, and it just seems to be something that he just is not equipped to handle. I guess the question is, how did Juan Francisco play this weekend in Cincinnati? He had a home run on Friday night, which was a big hit, but he made a couple errors, and he's typically Juan Francisco. You know, that's 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 what he does. So he'll go one for five, but hit a three-run home run and hit two and make two errors. So uh, the Reds aren't missing him, I don't think. Of course, Edwin Encarnacion is a different story. Uh, imagine if the Reds had him playing third base and then Frazier in left field. That that would be a pretty devastating lineup. Yeah, it definitely would. Okay. Bleacher Report had an article that I read this morning that I thought was extremely interesting. It was five of the best power hitters in baseball right now and – if they could end up changing addresses by the trade deadline. Mark, I'm going to throw some names out at you, and you tell me if they're a fit in Cincinnati or even in Cleveland. And let, let's see what we think about these guys. First of all, San Diego has three of them. And I'm going to start out with Sean Smith, who came over to the Padres from Oakland a year ago, had a good year in Oakland, is having a decent year in San Diego. What do you think about him? I've always liked him. I liked him last year in Oakland. <clears throat> He's the kind of under-the-radar guy. I think it add a lot of pop to your bench, even if he isn't starting. And, uh, yeah, I, I think he could fit in with either team, either the Reds or the Indians. Okay, another one that they brought up was, again, a San Diego Padre, Carlos Quinton. Now, Quinton has injury problems, and he's got a no-trade clause in his contract with the Padres because he's from San Diego. But people are saying that, at the right location, he would be willing to go because he's not getting any playing time after coming off another injury with San Diego. He's an iffy player because he does have a lot of injuries, but he also has a lot of pop in his bat. He's a left fielder. What about him? I have a pass on him. I think he's a defensive liability. He's inconsistent with the play. He has a lot of power, but he can be pitched to. And If he can't crack the lineup for the Padres, who I think are in last place, uh, how's he going to crack the lineup for the Indians or the Reds? No, I agree with you. I would, I would definitely pass on him. Also, I, I would probably pass on 
Sean Smith, too, because he's a defensive liability. I don't think he can play right field. I think he's more of a left fielder, and I, I just don't have any interest in, in Sean Smith. The guy I do have some interest in, the third baseman for the Padres, Chase Headley. He supposedly is available. He's 30 years old. He's a left-handed hitter. He's constantly, or consistently hitting 25 to 30 home runs a year and driving in close to 100, young, 100 runs. It's going to take some young prospects to pry him away from San Diego, but what do you think of Chase Headley? Well, you say he's been consistent. I don't think he has. If Look at the stats from last year. Uh, if I recall, he had a pretty weak year last year. And it was either this year, I mean, the, the first year he came up, remember, he, he really was a, a devastating hitter and beat the Reds a couple times. Uh, but I'm not convinced. Again, you not only... You have to say, okay, these guys are good players or they're not good players, but where do they fit in into a team? Where do their skills mesh with what you need as an organization? Now, Headley's a pretty good player, but he's not going to upseat uh, Todd Frazier at third base. Uh, you know, what do you do with him? So I like him, but I'm not sure where he fits in for the Reds, where I think, with, although I guess you could – bring him in as a backup for Votto, and you have to make a lot of other changes. You have to put Frazier in left field and put Headley at third, uh, but I don't think the Reds would do that. The thing about it is, Mark, that I was thinking, you've constantly said that Todd Frazier is the Reds' best left fielder. Put Headley at third, move Frazier to left. Yeah, that's that's a possibility, but right now Frazier's playing a very good third base, and again, do you take the chance of disrupting that team and right now we are getting some production out of left field so again i don't know what headley is hitting this year but uh to me he's, he's hitting two be... he's hitting 200 with six homers 23 rbis yeah well that's that's not going to help anybody I, I think he's a far better player than those statistics in, indicate but w who would you give up for a chase headley uh in your minor league system at this point and, and what would they want I don't see... Well, I, I think they're going to want a couple of, of uh, pitching prospects. I think they're going to build this team with Bud Black on pitching. They just got rid of GM. So, you know, it's it's really hard to tell, Mark, without a GM, what direction San Diego actually is going to go in. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, would t I would pass on Headley. I thought I'd be sitting around 220, 230. I thought, you know, and that would be... Uh, probably the low end of my interest level, but down around 200. Right now the league has him figured out because I don't think he had a, a real good year last year either. So, uh, you know, one good year does not a career make. See, in all honesty, I would take a chance of, on him with the Indians. I, I, he, I, I would take a chance on him. I would put him at third base, and I would move Lonnie Chisholm to right field. I think Chisenhall's future is either at first base or in the outfield. Francona has often toyed with the idea of putting Chisenhall in the outfield. He's got a great arm. It's just erratic at third base. But if you put him in right field, I think you could corral that arm. I think you'd give him an opportunity to think about his hitting rather than his fielding. And Headley could slide into that cleanup position for the Indians and could solidify that offense, especially if you could put Kipnis in front of him. Brantley and, and Santana behind him, I think he'd be a good fit in Cleveland. I would take a shot on him. I don't know what it would take to get him from San Diego. Definitely I'm not giving up a Naquin or a Lindor, but
But depending upon what San Diego would want, I think I'd take a shot on him with the Indians. You know, it's amazing when you the the Padres are the worst hitting team in baseball, and you look at some of these names here and and some of the batting averages. It's really unbelievable. Uh, Alonzo hitting two ten, Venable two oh four, Headley two hundred, Quinton one ninety two, Grandel one ninety one. I mean, a lot of these guys, <laughs> you know, below the interstate, and that that team batting average has to be down around two twenty or two thirty. Uh, that, that's really unbelievable that the Padres have fallen. And they've got some good pitching. The Padres are, are, are a tough pitching team, but they just have nobody that, that's able to, to put the bat in the ball. Their, their leading hitter is Smith at 286, and I, I don't think they're going to do anything with him. He, he leaves the team in hitting. If they get rid of him, what are they going to have? Now, I'm going to throw this out to you. I, I think I know your answer, but I'm going to throw it out to you anyway. Do you think having a former pitcher as manager has anything to do with the hitting problems? I don't. Uh, I think that's why you have hitting coaches. And, you know, that would be the same thing to say if you have a a great former hitter as a manager that you can't have a good pitching staff. So I don't don't buy into that. I I think Bud Black is a hell of a manager, by the way. But when you have guys, you know, (laughs) hitting – uh, the middle of their lineup must be has an average of about two fifteen two eighteen, mm-hmm. and boy, that that the Reds made looks awfully good right now for Matt Latos. <laughs> well, a couple other things in Major League Baseball before we sign off here tonight, Mark. Uh, Troy Tulowitzki and Jose Bautista, uh, biggest news of the night out of Major League Baseball, I guess, according to ESPN, have become captains of the home derby uh, for the All Star Game. Uh, Frankly, as far as I'm concerned about that, whoopee. Your thoughts? Whoopee. I think that's the most <laughs> ridiculous exhibition. And have you ever noticed how guys go into extended slumps after they do that? They go. Up yeah, there they really play. do. They go, and it's, yeah. it's a very tottering thing. I mean, I, I've had batting practices, and I've been in those home run hitting contests. And I tell you, if, you know, it's like lifting weights. You, you're, you do that for an hour, and you're tired. And they break it up now in you know different rounds and all that stuff. But I'm telling you, it's it's a very tiring thing, and they're not ready to play the next night for the real game. It's ridiculous. I don't know why they do that. Yeah, I I don't understand it either. One other quick question: There's a lot of rumors going on right now that David Price will be traded from Tampa Bay, and the most likely location is the San Francisco Giants. Now the Giants already are one are the best team in baseball record wise right now. If you add David Price to that rotation, Mark, they're going to be quite a chore to beat. Yeah, I thought that they uh, the uh, the Brewers might be interested in him. Uh, I, I'm glad it is going to be the Giants, but of course you, you can't. Don't forget the Cardinals. You know they they had put two guys on the DL last week. In Waka and uh, uh, their left-hander, I forget the name now. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me that they go after him. Yeah, it wouldn't. And, and the Cardinals have a lot that they could give up in the minor league system in order to get a guy like that. But remember, he's playing out his option. He's a free agent, so he's a rental player. So that that may have That's something to do with the Cardinals also, whether or not they go after him. Well, I don't what do the Reds got coming up? I'm sorry, Mark. Go ahead. Well, I'm just going to say these rent-a-player concepts. I think that's kind of a thing of the past. 
these, these teams are not going to sign a guy like him to bring him in, and, you know, for for and give up a bunch of talent for for one player or two players in the minor leagues. So I think the the strategy would be whoever he signs with, he's going to sign long term. But in terms yeah. of the red schedule, uh, this is going to be a tough week. They, they're on the road. They got to play uh, ten games on the road, three in Chicago. Then they go to San Francisco for four games in San Francisco, and that could be a real bump in the road. And then they finish up with San Diego, who has that great pitching. They can stop anybody. So I'm hoping the Reds could. It would be great to go six and four. Uh, I would take five and five. Well, this is one of these weeks, Mark, where you and I aren't going to get much sleep because the Reds and the Indians are both on the West Coast. <laughs> they put the Indians tomorrow night and Wednesday will be in Arizona, and then Friday, Saturday, and Sunday they'll be in Seattle, and then next Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday they'll be in Los Angeles to take on the Dodgers. So both teams will be on the West Coast. It's going to be a late night for all of us. Well, uh <laughs> I'm not sure I'm into staying up to two in the morning anymore, but uh, <laughs> I used to. I used to have my transistor radio, and I remember, you know, being up at two, two thirty, listening to the last out. So maybe. Well, I age, know some of us need our beauty sleep. That's right. Maybe <laughs> at some point, uh, age uh, gets wisdom. Maybe that's the point. That that could be. All right, Mark. We'll talk to you again next Monday night. All right, have David. a good week. You too. That's going to do it for our show. Hey, don't forget also the College Baseball World Series is going on. Virginia is playing Vanderbilt. It's a two-out-of-three series in Omaha, and that's going on on ESPN uh, right now. We'll be back next Monday night with another Ohio Baseball Weekly show, and I'll be back with the Ultimate Sports Talk show on Thursday night with a preview of the NBA draft. Until then, our thanks to Greg Mitchell for being our producer. My thanks to Mark Donahue, but most of all, our thanks to you for listening. Again, we'll be back next Monday night at 9 o'clock with the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Until then, for Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell. Have a good week, everybody.